Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. So today we're going to talk about a question I get often asked by patients, and that is, how can I tell when I'm ovulating? My response really is to try and avoid tracking the cycle because as soon as you start tracking the cycle, two things happen. Your cycle may change just because you're watching it. Like many things, when you watch something, the characteristics alter from the norm. The second is that, and probably part of the reason things might change, is that you get stressed about it and therefore hormones which are sensitive to stress may also alter. So the first step in timing ovulation is to understand when the fertile time is in relation to ovulation. So the fertile time is in the 12 hours of time after the egg has been released when it's capable of fertilization. It moves from the ovary into the fallopian tube in that period of time and hopefully sitting there will be a collection of sperm waiting to fertilize it. Sperm takes somewhere between 10 and 20 hours to work its way up through the cervix, through the uterus, into the fallopian tube. So what we need is an overlap of those two time frames, given that sperm, once it's inside the female genital tract, lasts for something between 48 and 72 hours. It's quite viable for quite a period of time because it's in a beautiful culture situation. There's warmth, there's nutrients, and that is the way sperm are designed. So what we have to do is get that overlap between having sperm in the fallopian tube as the egg arrives so that the sperm can aggregate around the egg and one of them is penetrating the eggshell and producing a pregnancy. So what I'm saying is that probably intercourse should be happening prior to actual ovulation. 
and my advice is to have intercourse on a second nightly basis from two days before ovulation at around the time of predicted ovulation and two days after because prediction of ovulation is not exact. No matter what we do, cycles will vary from one to another. If you're lucky and you have a regular 28-day cycle, every cycle, and that probably occurs in 70% of women, maybe more, it is easy to time ovulation. And you know, I wouldn't waste money on predictor kits at the chemist or doing blood tests because almost certainly you'll be ovulating on day 14. So you have intercourse on day 12, 14 and 16, and you will definitely cover ovulation, assuming the sperm is good quality. If, however, you're in the remaining 20 to 30% where cycles are irregular, it becomes more problematic. In the good old days, we used to tell patients to take their temperature every morning to look for the half a degree rise in basal body temperature caused by progesterone release at the time and after ovulation. It's extremely tedious and I have to say I discourage anybody from doing it because it adds nothing to improving your chances of success. What the image is, <laughs> what the instructions are probably, is that you take your temperature before you do any physical exercise in the morning, first thing, wake up and you put the thermometer in your mouth, not in the vagina, in the mouth, <laughs> to do your temperature chart. I've had patients who've told me that they do it vaginally because why, why wouldn't you? That's where everything's happening. But no, your basal body temperature is easily done by putting a thermometer under your tongue. As soon as that happens, you uh, write it down on the chart and you get up and you can do whatever you want. And then there's that wonderful moment in time. Imagine this, the temperature has gone up by half a degree. Your husband's already got out of bed, making you coffee, waiting for you to tell him what has happened and you yell down the corridor, he's in the kitchen, hey, come back here, temperature's up, we've got to go out and do it. It's about as romantic as a wet rag. <laughs> and, uh, and it's not very accurate. That rise in temperature can be caused by many things. You have a cold, forget and you have a cup of coffee first. So don't do it, okay, my message. The next way of trying to predict is to use the urine predictor kits. There's a study published or presented actually at the Fertility Society meeting this week showing the inaccuracies of those tests that while probably better than 90% correct in picking the day of ovulation, still not 100%. What those tests do is look for the surge of hormone, the LH hormone, which occurs just prior to ovulation, within 24 hours of ovulation. The problem with that surge is it's actually short-lived. And so you could actually do a urine test one morning and a urine test the next morning and actually miss the rise in that hormone. And that's what these studies were showing, is that, that a percentage, somewhere between 5 and 10% of the kits did not pick up ovulation in every cycle. That doesn't mean they're bad, but again, they're not inexpensive and they are stress-forming because you're wondering when. The next way, which is much more intensive and obviously involves going to a pathology laboratory and having blood taken. So we can measure the hormones leading up to and at the time of ovulation. And there is a pattern that is reasonably precise in saying this is the day you're ovulating. What we put together is the rising estrogen level coming from the egg 
and then the rise in the LH hormone that I talked about, that surge of hormones, and then the rise in progesterone. And putting those three together, we can get a very accurate estimate of the day of ovulation, perhaps even the half day of ovulation. But it doesn't need to be that accurate. As I've said from the beginning, sperm hangs around for 48 to 72 hours. Eggs are fertile for around 12 hours. We just have to get that overlap. Women get very stressed about knowing when they're ovulating. My advice is to try and not be so stressed, to know that there is a, a wide overlap of sperm and egg uh, viability, and that's probably the most important fact. And doing all this tracking, while it may sound good, has the downside of creating significant stress, which may in turn have an impact on the goodness of your ovulation. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.